passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wei take the mic. Rewind around, John Pollock, waiting. What a show we have. How are you, Wei? Doing all right, John. How are you? I'm doing okay. I've got my water here. I don't know if it's going to last the whole show. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. Might have to take a few sips. Uh, it's always good to have spare waters, I find, around your recording booth. It is uh, essential sometimes to um, be able to talk for as long as we do, which today, in my update, I noted that tonight, it's the fifth straight day of shows for me in a way, and then... Our man, Neil, fact-checked me, and I had skipped over the fact that last Wednesday, when we didn't have a Rewind of Dynamite, we had done a bonus show. So, way by this Thursday, which will be the next day we, you and I do not have a show, you and I will have completed 13 consecutive days of shows. Oh, my. Wow. Two straight weeks. Um, that's a lot of talking. That's a lot of wrestling. Um, it, you know, it's an industry that... There's never a dull moment, that's for sure. Well, I'm I'm wondering if by the end of this, you'll be throwing me into a Jessamyn Duke head kick, uh, and that'll be the end of our iconic friendship. Um, I mean, I hope you and I never find ourselves in an underground situation anywhere. I don't know how the Iconics did find themselves in that underground situation. Well, you know, like... The end Did of they the take night. a wrong turn somewhere and just end up in the freezer? Maybe Shane just invited them. Can I say that my the subtle part I enjoy the most about Raw Underground each week is Shane McMahon doing the tee-up to Big Jordan, and the dude just shrugs his shoulders like, yeah, cool, these fights, that's great. I can't watch any of them. I'm just out here, Shane, that's great. Have fun, man. He just completely no-sells the enthusiasm, Shane. It's like, tonight we're going to see Titus and Jessamine and Cruz take on Benjamin. He's like, yeah, okay. Door's open. <laughs> it's a it's an easy role for the time being. It's a, it's a much better role for Jordan than being the large ninja. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's dive into it. We have a, a lot of news items here to uh, go through. Let's start with um, the most recent, and that is the news that came out tonight uh, that Moro Ronaldo and WWE have officially parted ways. Uh, Moro, who has been off now for uh, since Takeover, which he missed, he was back in Vancouver, which, from my understanding, is where he still is. And uh, this was, you know, dealing with a family issue. His mother uh, had been ill, and he put out a message today. 
I appreciate the opportunity I had to realize my childhood dream of working in sports entertainment, and I wish WWE well in the future. Now I want to direct my focus and devote my time to my other projects and my mental health charitable activities and the well-being of my mother and myself. Uh, Shortly thereafter, WWE confirmed his departure, stating that WWE and Mauro Ranallo have mutually and amicably agreed to part ways. Mauro's passion and enthusiasm left an indelible and exciting mark with WWE and its fans, and we wish him the best in his future endeavors. So that would mark the the end of a relationship between uh, WWE and Mauro Ronaldo that does go back to him signing in near the end of 2015 and then having the run on SmackDown, which certainly ended in, uh, you know, certainly issues that uh, many thought would be the end of Mauro with WWE and certain things that went on. Did come back, though it was very notable. He was then positioned in NXT and not on the main roster. And that ends his run with WWE. But it seems like it is a amicable split, as it's been described. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Because, um, yeah, uh, you know, certainly like any any sort of absence, it, it really does make you wonder uh, if there's anything else going on. But but to know that it was amicable, uh, you know, it. It's a good thing, you know. Uh, I, he'll definitely be missed, you know, by the WWE audience and by the NXT audience. I mean, they had really uh, like made a habit of almost featuring the guy, uh, you know, either via like through those cameras uh, specifically put on him, um, and really just like the Mama Mia call at this point is really kind of like iconic and um, like you know a signature of NXTs that'll certainly be missed. Yeah, I mean, he had become the the voice associated with that NXT product uh, for uh, coming up. You know, this was over three years that he had been down in NXT since June 2017. Uh, it sounds like he will be, you know, continuing his other uh, duties with Showtime Championship Boxing, with Bellator. Could you see a scenario in the future that, that pro wrestling is something that he ever revisits and a product that might fit for Moro. Maybe it's not something he's looking at. To It, it sounds like he is trying to uh, take uh, obligations off that he's probably got a very full plate of. But down the road, I mean, he's certainly a voice that is familiar with a lot of people. And I'm sure there's going to be interest from different companies, whether it be uh, New Japan, that he has the history of calling on access or a- any other number of companies that might seek his interest. Um, c- could you see that happening? I can definitely see it. Yeah, and as a fan, I certainly hope so because, um, you know, of all the sports that Moro does such a fantastic job of calling, you know, selfishly, personally, I I love him as a pro wrestling commentator the most. He just brings that incredible, like, understanding of drama that just so enhances, you know, the the type of, like, art that professional wrestling is. So, um, you know, um, well, you know, I, I, I truly do believe that someday he'll call professional wrestling again. I mean, I just feel like he's too good at it to not, um, I guess the question, I guess the better question is, do you see him working with the WWE again in the future? My guess would be no. I think that this is probably it for him with, with WWE. Like we, we know that, you know, in, in the past, you know, there had been, you know, issues uh for for sure and this one i mean it was described to me as amicable um i just don't know if he's i mean it's it's going to be up to him i would think that if he had a desire to come back that wwe would welcome him back 
but I, I don't know if that would be necessarily in the cards. You have to imagine that if that presented itself, we would be back to a schedule where it would require travel that this this current version did not. I mean, he was he was calling the shows from home. So to me, it was uh, you know probably uh, several factors that went into his decision to want to alleviate some of you know his obligations that he was required to do. Uh, you, you never shut the door, I guess, completely on anything. I guess it would be surprising if he's go, goes back to WWE, but uh, people change their you know. Everyone's lives change. You could you could see a scenario where maybe maybe that door is reopened uh, down the road. Yeah, when it when it comes to like you know so much of I think anything to do with Moro, um, you know I think any anybody who's a fan of his, anybody who's a friend of his, I think just always wants to make sure that he himself is okay. And you know in this case, like his, you know making sure that he's doing the right thing for himself and his family. So uh, I personally, and I'm sure all his fans, wish him all the best. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, people know his, his history. He's been very forthcoming with it. And I think that's first and foremost, everyone uh, hoping that everything is, is fine in that regard. Brock Lesnar. Uh, this was reported by Mike Johnson earlier today that he is a free agent. Uh, this was uh, noted that his page had been taken down off of a WWE shop and in additional reporting from Dave Meltzer, he noted that his latest contract ended after WrestleMania, uh, when he did the match with Drew McIntyre, and that his merchandise deal has ended, and thus his WWE shop profile has been taken down. It's become a big story because it's Brock Lesnar. Um, it just sounds from like the the reporting that this is something that, you know, there is a like there's no deal. But at the same time, it sounds a lot like what's going on with the UFC and Conor McGregor, where the UFC is in this current situation where if they're going to use Conor McGregor, they want to be able to maximize that value. And if you can't get a live gate, do they really need Conor McGregor to fight at the moment when they're guaranteed a certain amount every month from ESPN Plus and for WWE, uh, they probably want to use Brock Lesnar when they can have regular live crowds. I mean, he does not come cheap. So why, why commit a, a huge dollar figure now when you're doing these types of shows? And when you look at, like, if you were looking at Brock's, Brock Lesnar, and this has been a guy that throughout his career, his timing has been impeccable when it comes to his contracts being due and maximizing his bargaining position. I would say in this current climate, your options are, if if you want to float that idea of the UFC, I mean, here's a guy that's 43 now. I think that UFC, I, I think it's the same deal as Conor McGregor. I don't think they would be necessarily be jumping at spending a huge amount of money to get Brock Lesnar to fight right now. AEW, I think that it's, it's, it's a, a fun idea to entertain the idea of Lesnar ever going somewhere, but... I just think financially what that would take uh, would be much more detrimental to AEW than uh, valuable. And ultimately, I just see this as probably two sides that are just realizing that now the the timing is not right. And providing Lesnar wants to continue, I think ultimately a deal will be reached when when WWE has the need for him. What what do you think? No, I agree with a lot of those points. You know, I I think, um, I mean, the contract... Not being renewed right now is 
simply probably a matter of you know really just um gaming i think each other um there's certainly not the leverage point that lesnar had the last time he was doing all this with the ufc i mean he himself has said that his days of competing are over so whether or not he would even be able to entertain the idea of like using ufc as a bargaining chip seriously i'm, I'm not really sure um but if it was normal circumstances and ufc were running normal cards I think there'd be interest to get Brock for one fight. I, I do not think it would be a good idea for Brock. Um, it's For what he would be paid, he'd be thrown against an elite-level heavyweight. And yeah, by the time he would be able to fight, he would be at least... I mean, he turns... Uh, he just turned 43. It's just... Uh, to me, that, that door has shut. It's not to say that there would not be uh, a UFC or even a Bellator that would break the bank to try and bring him in. I just don't look at it as... It, it would be a very short-term decision that I, I don't think would be Brock's been very smart with how he's handled his career. And that to me would, th- there was a time that was an option, but we're, we're talking uh, four years since his last fight. The idea of him going to, you know, a place like AEW, if AEW even is, would entertain the idea of spending that amount of money on any single entity. Um, I really do wonder what its audience would would find, uh, like how they how they would react to it. Because I would say, like Brock Lesnar, for a majority of his run recently, has been looked at more so as a negative, and you know, almost almost like this kind of toxic entity who's really like just you know held like a title situation up up you know for ransom almost you know just with um, how much he's getting paid to and putting the belt to justify him. Um, putting the belt on him to justify the contract. It just seems like, I would say, a bit of an unhealthy situation. And and I, I do wonder um, if it, the audience would even really appreciate it. Because I certainly think, like, AEW right now has really built itself up on, like, making its name off of a, a lot of unknowns and not really disrupting its, I guess, I don't know, um, pay structure and star structure that badly, unless it was for somebody who seemed like a team player, like a Chris Jericho. Brock Lesnar certainly does not seem like a team player. Um, so I I don't think he would be a good fit. I think there's a lot of cool stuff you could do for the right price with Brock, especially representing like the outsider coming to AEW that I think they'd be very smart with how they use him. I just can't imagine Brock making that move unless it was just an unbelievable figure. Like I think mm-hmm. if it was equal even if AEW matched what a WWE offer would entail, you would have to go that much higher to convince him to take the, and I think WWE would just, it would just increase his bidding with WWE. I think that AEW is not going to get into that kind of a bidding war because I think for all the, all the fantasy ideas and matches you could come up with, I just don't know if you could necessarily turn that high of a contract into a profitable one that you could generate like the amount of revenue off pay-per-view that not, yeah not without TV, I, I just think it would really crowds. yeah it's just it would be a very you know it would it would be a great coup for AEW to say hey we got Brock Lesnar I just think that financially it would do much more damage in the long run and I just I, I just don't see it as a realistic possibility at this stage of where AEW is years from now they may be in a position where they could get into that kind of a bidding war but that would not be where I would be putting my resources in a in a Brock Lesnar. So um, it's it's a big story today because it's Brock Lesnar, but ultimately it would be stunning to me um, 
if we're talking about Brock going anywhere. If if he's going anywhere, to me it would be, hey, I've made my money. Do I need to continue? That would be the decision as opposed to uh, going elsewhere. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, some other news items that are happening. Way, you know what I was thinking uh, the other night when we did uh, the Summer Struggle and it was the end of the King of Pro Wrestling uh, Fatal 4-Way? More tournaments. What's New Japan going to do without a tournament? Well, thankfully, they've answered that question. We are going to get the tournament of all tournaments for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles. The titles that have been vacated by Rapongi 3K. It's going to be decided over four nights uh, beginning uh, later this week on September 5th and uh, taking place over the New Japan Road Tour. Uh, we're going to get a round-robin tournament involving El Desperado Yosh- and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. That's the first team. Ryusuke Taguchi and Master Wato. Hiromu Takahashi and Bushi. And the sleeper tandem of Taiji Ishimori and Ghetto. And the finals will take place at Corcoran Hall on September the 11th. And we will get new junior heavyweight tag team champions. Um, my only question is, do we start our G1 coverage early to incorporate our analysis of this tournament? Should we get Chris Angler to make a pull for us? <laughs> the uh, the ever so hard to select picks in the IWGP junior heavyweight tag title tournament. Yeah. Um, this is a tournament that exists. I, I, I mean, I can't honestly get the two men at them. Again, like New Japan right now, in my opinion, I think they're kind of hurting because they have a depleted roster. Half their guys are overseas. I wouldn't say half, I guess, but a, a good chunk of their stars are overseas and can't get over here. So you're having to be creative, trying to fill all these Kurokuen Hall smaller shows uh, with something. And it, they just so happen to have an injury to one of the co-tag team, junior heavyweight tag team champions, and you can build a tournament around it. Um it's just something, honestly, to fill these small shows. Um, they're also going to be doing a uh, a never-open-weight six-man tag title tournament on the last night uh, with... A match. Uh, not a, a match. Yeah. yeah, sorry, not a tournament. Uh, just just a t- six-man tag title match with, uh, with our new champions of uh, Goto Ishii and Yoshihashi taking on Kazuchika Okada, Sho, and... Uh, da, 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 da. who's the third? Toriano. Uh, Toriano is the third one. Yes. So that will be our uh, six-man tag title tournament, and this is our final tour before the G1. So, I mean, if these announcements are going to come, it's going to be some somewhere during this tour, I guess. This is like the latest I think we've gone, where there's still all these questions about uh, G1 three weeks away. Maybe they're hoping for the best, you know, as far as like some of their overseas talent goes and maybe waiting to to see what the what I don't know what the last minute changes are when it comes to borders and things like that. Uh, I'm really not sure. But I mean, it seems like New Japan has a lot of shows booked and not necessarily a lot of main events that they could justify, um, you know, for all of these shows. Uh, If you have a New Japan World subscription, I guess you're really going to get your money's worth if you really want to see a lot of these matches. But um, I can't really say I'm that interested. Uh, we also had MLW. Uh, they're they're officially planning their return for October to hold television tapings at an undisclosed location in New York. And those new episodes are going to start airing in November uh, on the FUBU Sports Network, which is a streaming platform they've signed a deal with. Saturday nights on BN Sports. And they've also got the deal with DAZN. Uh, Court Bauer told SI.com they've hired a COVID compliance officer, Mike Kitless. And they're going to be... 
the way they're going to be conducting testing is testing uh, members before they even get on the airplane, once they land, and then again during the tapings, and then having other COVID-19 procedures in place for the tapings, and also maybe changing the name from Fusion to Underground, which is the name of their old series uh, from the first iteration of MLW. Uh, They've announced talent for the tapings with Jacob Fatu, Tom Lawler, Alex Hammerstone, Myron Reed, Selena De Laurenta, Richard Holiday. Calvin Tankman and Brian Pillman Jr., who's, I guess, uh, the interesting name that was under and still is under contract with MLW, but had been vocal about wanting out, but is being advertised for this taping. Interesting, yeah. And interesting that um, they would go back to the underground name or possibly go back to the underground name at oh, this That's time. right. Yeah. Huh. That's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's... Uh, I mean, they're they're saying it that people like the MLW underground name more than than Fusion. I, I don't know how much of a groundswell there would be behind the the name of the show, but I guess they're they're toying with that idea. Uh, maybe they feel underground is in. Who wants to be above board these days? Who wants to be at sea level? They want to be underneath and safe, away from people. Um. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh. Game Changer, they've uh, announced the rescheduled dates for The Collective, and they're going to happen October 9th, 10th, and 11th, with four shows per day. Uh, Some of the highlights on the Friday will be uh, AIW. Uh, For the Culture is going to be the midnight show on Friday. On Saturday, October 10th, they've got Effie's Big Gay Brunch. Glory Pro will have a show. Saturday night is Joey Janela's Spring Break. And then Freelance will do a show at midnight. And then Sunday, Black Label Pro at noon, Shimmer at 4, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport at 8, and then Paradigm Pro Wrestling at 11.30 Sunday night. So 12 shows in three days. They're going to be streaming on Fight TV, and they're going to be holding the shows at the Marion County Fairgrounds in Indianapolis, Indiana, with uh, COVID-19 guidelines. There will be reduced capacity, and they are allowing a a window for those who had bought tickets for the Tampa uh, shows to convert their tickets, or you can either get a refund or convert your tickets to credits for future GCW shows. Obviously, the big shows way are going to be, I would say, Spring Break and Bloodsport. Uh, this is also going to fall and for the right- culture, I think, and for the culture. Yes, I would say even more of a larger show. Uh, just given everything this year, I think that's a yeah. very important show that's happening. Uh, this will be a weekend that. Uh, We're right in the midst of G1, but it it will be interesting to see how much uh, engagement there is for all of these shows grouped together, which is um, there's going to be a lot of focus on. God, I was just getting so excited until you reminded me that this was in the middle of the G1. Yep. There's shows on the Saturday and and Sunday as well. At least, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of wrestling. It is, but you know what? Um, I'll definitely still like make an effort to to check out to, uh, you know the three shows that we mentioned. I mean, I was really looking forward to those three in particular, uh, more so than pretty much anything uh, for WrestleMania weekend this year. Uh, it's not going to be the same watching it on you know um, what what is it Fight TV or or wherever they're going to host it. Yeah, fight. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I, I I feel like the, there will be shows that will be talked about. Yeah, and I would. I would think that they offer some kind of a pass to get just access to the whole show, much like they do with StarCast. I think that would be a really smart idea on Fight TV's behalf. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that's coming up in October. And today on uh, Ariel Hawani's show, I guess 
Daniel Cormier is the co-host, but I mean, if there was any doubt, he pretty much uh, eliminated it, stating he's retiring, he's planning to withdraw from the USADA testing pool, and has just indicated, like, this is it, you gotta know when your time is up, and I thought it was like a very reasoned point of view that Daniel Cormier had, he had said that he only wants to fight for championships, there's no way he sees himself getting a title fight again, which... I mean, Daniel, this is the UFC. It's not the most preposterous idea that he could get a title fight, but he seems that he is not even entertaining that and said that he still believes he could beat Stipe Miocic, but every day it's that's getting less and less of a possibility. He's getting older and cited even the age difference when he fought John Jones, that he's fighting all of these younger guys and he's just getting older and you need to know when it's time to call it a career. And that's what he's doing. A guy that, I mean, it's... It's a remarkable career that he had for someone that had no stand-up training until the age of 30 when he had his first fight. That's pretty remarkable when what this guy did in his 30s when he came into this sport with, I mean, granted, a very high level, but a wrestling background and not a striking one. Completely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, every every professional sports competitor eventually has to have, have this conversation, and it feels like Cormier has kind of been delaying it for a bit now. Um but you know, you honestly never say never. Like unless your body physically tells you you can't do it, and I mean Cormier still seems like he can compete at a very high level. So uh, if the UFC comes calling, hey, special attraction, we hey, we need somebody for this championship fight. Can you see that happening? Uh, with Cormier, um, no, I don't see that happening. I it, it would not shock me at all that he would be offered something but i think officially once he's out of the the testing pool i, I think mentally he he's done and i think once he's closed the door it's shut i daniel cormier is one that i think we will not see this guy fight again he made a ton of money during these last number of years that i think he knows that he he's going out on not the most ideal note losing this last fight to miocic but one that i i think he realizes that it's it's not going to be a better outcome the next time around either for the level of, of fight, fights he would be wanting. And I, I just, I, I think this is it for him. He's got a, a lot of options, I'm sure, on the table for himself. And I think he's ready to move on to the next stage of his life. I mean, he said, said in this, like, he is not sad about this decision. He seems to, that fight was only a couple of weeks ago, but he seems to have reached that conclusion pretty definitively. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Um I, I, I wish him a successful transition. And just last two quick notes here. SmackDown did 2,144,000 viewers, uh, slightly below last week's number, but still their second highest since June. They were number one for the night in 18 to 49s, 18 to 34, and 25 to 54. So for the second consecutive week, topping 2 million viewers. So that is a positive for SmackDown. And I think SmackDown will continue that. I, I feel that, the Roman Reigns comeback has definitely reinvigorated that show and the interest for it. It's been a great way to capitalize on the buzz that they generated from the Thunderdome debut right into SummerSlam and then doing something big right after the week right afterwards with the big Roman Reigns heel turn. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I agree. They're on a good roll. And NXT has added Bronson Reed and Timothy Thatcher to tomorrow night's episode, which will be headlined by the 60-minute Iron Man match for the vacant NXT title with a special Super Tuesday edition of NXT. So Tuesday night, you can watch uh, two hours of NXT, two hours of Impact, 
probably minimum 90 minutes of AEW Dark and uh, throw on two hours of Dana White's Contender Series. Just another quiet Tuesday night. Is that what you're going to be doing? I'm not watching all of that. No, I Tuesday nights, I usually have reserved for uh, the Contender Series because I really enjoy that show every week. I have a great time watching it. Uh, but tomorrow night, I probably will be watching NXT. Yeah, likewise. If not, Wednesday. Yes. And Brayden Davey will have it up next uh, on the site, I believe, around Wednesday afternoon. They will not have it up Tuesday night, but you can look forward to it on uh, Wednesday. And then Wednesday night, Wayne, I will have Rewind to Dynamite, which follows Tuesday night's release of Rewind Away, number 69, the Halloween Havoc 91 edition. This show... <laughs> um, I'm about like an hour and a half into it. I'm so glad you started it. It is a from the get go. It is the show that just keeps on giving. Um, we start off with the Chamber of Horrors, and God, if you haven't seen this match, it is a marvel. Um, the goal of the match <laughs> is to put your opponent. First of all, it's like a hell in a cell that that like six people are in. And among them are like, you know, Mick Foley, Abdullah the Butcher, Sting, uh, Scott Hall. And the goal of the match is to put your opponent into an electric chair that is wired to a voltage switch. So you're supposed to put your opponent in an electric chair inside this cage, strap them in, and then hit the switch. Uh, and of course, hilarity ensues. So uh, that's just the start. The rest of the show looks incredible so yeah i can't wait to talk about it the whole star-studded lineup of wcw 1991 roster members from oz to bill kazmaier the creatures the oh, z-man love the creatures the creatures and all don't of that forget the ghouls the ghouls yes the that's ghouls. right yes um man van hammer yeah, All of it. All of it coming at you Tuesday night, a deep dive into WCW 1991. What a show this is. Going head-to-head -head with Game 7 of the World Series. Oh, really? In 91? The, the Minnesota Twins versus the Atlanta Braves. Oh, no wonder they were so big. Yeah. So that's coming up Tuesday night for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Thursday, the British Wrestling Experience uh, will be featuring Martin Bushby and Benno joined by... Uh, Shane from the WrestleWipe.com site. They're going to be chatting about RevPro's uh, latest show that they put up, Epic Encounters, and discussing uh, the issues attached with that show. Uh, they will also be going through the return of NXT UK, many other topics. Hey, uh, we never got a chance to mention it last time just because, like, so much had happened since then. But, like, huge thank you to Jamesy for the time that he spent on the British Wrestling Experience. Uh, just, you know, did we mention it, John? I think we did, yes. I oh, think okay. We, well, I, I think we gave him a send off, but why not? Let's, let's mention let's another it again. one, Jamesy. Uh, hey, like, uh, just uh, thank you for uh, everything you contributed to the British wrestling experience. Uh, but you know, Benno and Martin have a lot in store for the show coming up as well, and I imagine they'll make some some more announcements on this edition on Thursday. Friday night, we're live 10.15 Eastern for patrons with Rewind to SmackDown that takes us into the weekend, which will include our all-out post-show. Right after the pay-per-view Saturday night, Way and I will be live for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons uh, running down that show. And then Sunday, WH Park is back 
for the long and winding Royal Road. It's getting longer. It's winding that much more. And this week, he is uh, picking up J.P. Houlihan from the side of the road, and they're going to travel to June of 1990 to chat about a very legendary match involving Jumbo Saruta and Mitsuharu Masawa, a real uh, passing of the torch style match that they will discuss. Awesome. There's your weekend set. You're all set. Perfect. Uh, And of course, this month, it's the launch of all of our bonus content for cafe members, including our coverage of the G1. We will have a show after every single edition of the G1 Uh, beginning September the 19th. So cafe members will get plenty of extra shows. In addition to that, a bonus show every Tuesday, including three rewind aways this month, a review of Rocky two and one of our favorites ask away the mailbag show on the Rocky front, you know, just in case um, you guys wanted a sampling of what you might get next Tuesday, we're going to actually put up our Rocky run one review on this very feed tomorrow night. Absolutely for free. Uh, just to get get you guys caught up, and uh, perhaps if you're interested in joining us for the ride, now is really the perfect time. It's the first of the month. $6 a month gets you all of this. All of that and our entire archive. So uh, check that out. It is now officially the first of the month, so it's the best time to sign up and get get the most bang for your buck on the post-wrestling cafe. So uh, enough of us uh, just patting ourselves on the back. Let us move on to... Raw from Monday night in, as Tom Phillips called it, the vaunted WWE Thunderdome at the Amway Center. Vaunted? Vaunted, yes. I don't know if I've ever described anything as vaunted. Yes, I was, it was one of those, like, the WWE, like, uh, neuroses that everyone acquires watching this, that you just start to pay attention to see, oh, okay, is this the new terminology? I only heard it the once, so... This may have been Tom Phillips editorializing. I'm not sure. He loves to vaunt. Um, Tom Phillips. He's a vaunter. Randy Orton uh, sauntered out, and Tom notes that Drew may be medically cleared for Clash of Champions. I guess right off the top, we should uh, note that the one match that they had been advertising for tonight Rey Mysterio versus Seth Rollins. They explained that Rey suffered an injury at payback um, and was not medically cleared tonight. Um, I was told it is a, a legitimate injury. I don't know what the extent of the injury is. They referred to it as a torn triceps tonight. Uh, obviously, a full tear. That's significant. I would think that since there was no angle shot tonight, that they are hopeful it's not uh, a significant injury and that it's only a, a minor one. Uh, but we'll look to uh, get further uh, further indication. But that was the reason that they changed things around tonight and Ray did not wrestle and Dominic ended up taking on Seth Rollins instead. You know, initially, I certainly thought it was just an angle because uh, maybe, you know, they came to their senses and decided to delay you you know Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio for a later time, but uh, this makes a lot of sense too. Randy's out, and he says that Drew disrespected him by offering him a match, a rematch out of pity. He deserves the fractured jaw, and he's going to be drinking his meals through a straw. He's already entitled for another title match. 
but he's going to jump through the hoops that have been presented tonight. And those hoops are three singles matches with the winners meeting tonight in a three-way match to determine the challenger at Clash of Champions. Those matches will be Keith Lee versus Dolph Ziggler, Randy Orton versus Kevin Owens, and Dominic taking on Seth Rollins. And before Orton gets interrupted, Orton's been busy. Since the loss to Keith Lee, he was getting down with his Photoshop skills. And he posted a photo of all of his victims in hospital beds, including Shawn Michaels with an ice pack. The guy who seemed the most resilient to the punt kick. Um, nothing like a little Photoshop to really drive home uh, a heel's dastardly ways. You know, of all the heels that have ever used the Photoshop gag, I would say Randy Orton seems like one of the more unlikely candidates. Um, usually it's reserved for, like, you know, comedy. Randy Orton's not a comedic heel whatsoever. So um, the big punchline be- of this promo being <laughs> this Photoshop joke um, was definitely a bit, you know, uncharacteristic. Uh, did not seem scathing in the least. But I was glad to see that they used a photo of Ric Flair crying for his photo. <laughs> of course. Probably isn't hard to find. Yeah, just Google image that one. It's okay. Keith Lee interrupts and does a long promo, very slow. And then Dolph Ziggler runs in and attacks Keith You're not going to recap Keith Lee's promos? Uh, maybe. His delivery is just like so over-the-top comic book character-like. I- Randy Orton. You are very meticulous, cunning even, and I feel that I am limitless. You could say, we'd be here all night if I was recapping That's pretty promos, good. Dude. That's really not bad for a first attempt. Oh. I love it. I think it's unique. It's obviously, you could tell me this, John, probably very fun to impersonate. Not um, if I can increase the speed. This is like a total 1.5 time the speed kind of promo it's kind of bane like isn't it a little bit yeah he he is very comic book oriented like he is oh, yes. like his comebacks are total incredible hulk by the way the hula skirt last night was in reference to brawly a dragon ball z character from dragon ball did, z I, did i not point that out did you i thought i mentioned that <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah the pro the promo ended with ziggler dropping keith on his head with a ddt and in we go. It's a raw version of Dolph Ziggler, not raw underground version of Ziggler. So he just had a match. Phillips confirms no Rollins and Ray tonight uh, with Dominic in his place. Uh, Ziggler just look, bumped around for Keith Lee. He took a big pounce. They went through a break. Famouser was kicked out of. Then Lee pressed him in the air, does kind of his little tour of the islands uh, version, and then just roars and gets hit with the zigzag, comes back, hits Ziggler with the spirit bomb, which they're using as his big finish. They have not used the Big Bang Catastrophe on the main roster yet. And Keith Lee wins in 8 minutes and 54 seconds. I like the match. You know, I I, I often maybe think I'm like, I've developed like a an appreciation for like a WWE style match. You know, just like to have a guy like Keith Lee come out here and fight from underneath and sell. And seeing how good the heel can control the match. I kind of liked it. But at the same time, I'm fully ready to admit that it's absolutely the wrong type of match for a character like Keith Lee's. You know, the man is a monster. He should be getting the Drew McIntyre or Braun Strowman type of push. 
I don't think he should be going 50-50 against uh, Dolph here. Yeah, I, I didn't think this was the most dynamic match. Um, it was a win for Keith Lee, uh, but uh, t- tonight was really all about building off of last night, and I think well, I think it was kind of hit. If the idea was to build off of last night, they should have probably like made a bigger deal out of the win. You know, like in the first segment here, I understand, like they completely ignored it. And I understand why they did, because it was like Randy Orton, almost like no selling the effects of like a big loss. Hey, I'm still in line for the title shot. I didn't lose last night, that type of thing. Uh, But in doing so, like, I think at the very least in your recaps, you had to make a big deal out of it because you definitely, I would say to me, they diminished the effect for the audience who didn't see that win. And even for the audience who did see the win, you're not reminded of it. They needed to start the show off. Big upset last night. Keith Lee beat Randy Orton. I couldn't believe, like, everybody's going crazy. It should have been, like, this monster has come into Raw, and he just scored the biggest win of his career. Like, play it like that. It's, like, that's how it should have been treated. And by the end of tonight, it was like, okay, Orton had a blip in the road and lost a match that ultimately didn't have stakes attached to it, and he won the important one tonight. Yeah. Phillips uh, brings up the injury to Ray, and then Sarah Schreiber interviews Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. Jax says that, I told Shayna to just follow my lead, and we won. Shayna says, no, I told you to stay out of my way, and I used Sasha as my personal weapon and put Bailey to sleep. Jax says, yeah, after I threw them around for the whole match, so it's just the... uh, the team, the partners that just are getting on each other's nerves. Oscar walks in. She wants to know her next challenger. Baszler and Jax are offended because this is her interview time. And Baszler gets shoved away as Oscar gets into Nia's face. And then Baszler returns. So that would set up our promo segment for later. Adam P. I, I, I oh. loved the finish so much last night. I, I really still can't get over it. I really wish at least they showed like a still shot of... Of Shayna just putting those two into that submission. I think it would have really just, again, cemented what a great moment that was. I hate these two trash talking. I think it's so bad. I think they have such bad chemistry. The lines are bad. Um, I really don't feel hatred at all between them. It feels so playful. It really does feel more like, you know, like flirting instead of like a heated rivalry. And it just, it's, just, it's cliched. I think it kind of sucks. And I, I guess, like, no, no doubt here that Banks and Bailey are probably just going to be on SmackDown. Yeah, they don't have the belts. Well, Sasha, Sasha was on SmackDown, right? Before all of this, I can't remember. SmackDown. I know Bailey was. I, for the life of me, cannot mm, remember. Sasha as well. Sasha's been on both shows for so long now, like almost mm-hmm. the entire pandemic. Adam Pierce is with security, and he says how Retribution ruined the main event of Raw last week. It's not going to happen tonight. Not exactly um, the vote of confidence here for security as he threatened to hire better security if they fail tonight. We've seen Adam Pierce's role, like, you know, grow pretty big over the past couple weeks. And um, I will say he definitely, like, gets angry and yells at people pretty well. He yells at ambulance as well, yells at security guards well. I, I do have, like, uh, the indication that retribution sounds like it's going to be a raw storyline. Oh, okay. So that seems to be where uh, they are going to continue. With what? This. Like, why? Like, they're what? They're, t- they're just they only want to work Mondays. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a pandemic. Hacking into those light boxes. 
Well, you have to say that now with Roman back, does this storyline really fit on SmackDown? I guess not. Um, you're going to have to change their motivations, though. Hey, like we're suddenly just going to take over one show instead of both? Maybe there's a certain official that's secretly letting them in every week. Who's that? This maniac who's screaming at security. Whoa. Be, like, Are you I mean, me? Scrap iron could be perhaps behind the scenes pulling some strings here. Interesting. Okay. No, I don't think so. Adam Pierce definitely has a more prominent role. And I mean, he's got a name, which is more than most of the referees. Yes. Yes, that's right. Charlie welcomes Asuka for the interview. And she lists off the different women in the division and just laughs. Asuka says she's ready for anything. And Mickey James comes out on her birthday and confronts yeah. Asuka. And recognize, she says, I recognize greatness. Asuka is one of the greatest women's champions of all time. But I'm telling you to your face, I'm coming for your title. She's seeking re revenge from a takeover in Toronto. I forgot that. You're right. Yeah, wow. we went to that one. Natalia and Lana come out. They say that Mickey isn't going to jump the line. She's had six chances. Has she had six chances at this title? I don't know. Lana sure. says that Mickey is stuck in the past. Age doesn't matter because J-Lo is 50 and fabulous. But Mickey hasn't evolved. And she's wearing her same ring gear since 1998. And Lana is a fashion influencer. And Mickey will have to go through her to get to Natalia. Asuka just says, I'm ready for all three of you. So just pick someone. And they all fought. You you immediately get the indication that this is going to be a much smaller scale feud for Asuka. And I think the reason for that is because they've done a terrible job of getting Natalia and Mickey ready for this spot. I mean, the, the two of them have, have had like what? Like two matches properly. And one of them had Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe talking all over it. So they're seemingly appearing into this title picture from out of nowhere. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm, I am happy to see fresh faces in, in the division. We're, you know, the promise of like either a Natalia Asuka match or an Asuka Mickey match should be good. Uh, they promoted a Connor's Cure for Pediatric Awareness Month uh, in September. Then the Viking Raiders and Cedric Alexander were smashing their forearms together when Demi Burnett wished them luck tonight and was impressed how Cedric Alexander turned down the the offer from the Hurt Business. Then she kissed Ivar on the cheek, and there lurking in the background was Angel Garza with a rose. Yeah, so... Very busy night for Demi Burnett. It's weird, because, like... So De Demi, I guess, likes Ivar, and you had Angel, like, creepily stalking her from a distance. But then she walks out with Angel? Yeah, it seemed that Garza was... I don't know. I don't know what he was doing Did we here. miss something off camera? If I was Ivar, it'd be like, okay, Demi. Fuck. Like, what's going on here? I watch Raw. Yeah. You're, you're with this guy. You're hitting on me. What What's going on here? You have to make a decision. It's Ivar or Garza. Hmm. And that doesn't really seem to be... It's almost like she's just in these parallel storylines. I mean, I'm sure they'll interact at some point. Lana and Mickey James, we had Asuka on commentary where her microphone was dead, but then eventually turned on. 
Retribution. They traded slaps. The Mick DT is blocked when Lana runs to the rope, and then Lana kicks her, and it, Mickey responds with the Mick kick. Wins in 240, and they're really pushing Asuka versus Mickey as Natalia was all distressed reacting to this loss. You know, uh, it's been a while since we've seen Lana wrestle. Um, I think she like does pretty decently in multi-man matches. In a single setting, not as much, but it was such a short match. Uh, really just there to make Mickey look a bit stronger. Um, so I guess that was fine. Randy Orton comes out of Alistair Black's room as Charlie is out there reporting. And we are left to wonder what that conversation was like. Me especially. Schreiber is with the Iconics. And we learn that tonight, the Iconics will take on Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan. The winners will get a tag title shot. The losers must disband. This came up out of nowhere. So... It came out of nowhere. Um, I did ask about this and did not really get uh, an answer as to like what the story is behind. But obviously there's a story here because this came out of nowhere and you, well, we'll get to it, but they're breaking up the Iconics and the way, well, we'll, we'll get to it later. Like it did seem like at least a, some kind of, uh, like they had Billy Kay, like not just lose, but then get knocked out with a head kick so i i don't know what the story is what what's what's going on with these two but this yeah completely out of left field tonight from the moment they announced the stipulation i mean you know i think if any like seasoned viewer would automatically understand that okay they're probably not going to break up the ride squad they just spent forever to put them back together um and then they had the iconics here even talk about like growing up together or at least like knowing each other since they were really young um showing photos of them together and you can immediately like even just see on their faces that this is this, this might is be, it this was their yeah. last show together as a team this was like a goodbye speech and it was really sad yeah they uh they showed photos of them they've been friends since high school um and the way they played it up in commentary was not just that they would have to break up as a team but like not have any contact with one another after tonight like they can no longer be friends if they lose this match well, they agree to this yeah, for what game? You're like, no, we we're okay. We can <laughs> skip the tag title shot this pay per view cycle. We'll we'll be needed down the road. You're going to need heels. Uh, and they called the Riot Squad snot nosed hooligans who are destined to self destruct. Evidently not. Orton is awaiting Kevin Owens in the ring, and Kevin Owens walks down, and out comes Alistair Black, who I've got to say he's got a pretty badass look now, where he's got like the Terry Funk eye is all. Uh, bandaged up, and he's also got like Shayna Baszler's mascara to c- cover his black, his eye all black, uh, and just took out Owens, hit the black mass, and then the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate safety protocol exhibited by referee Derek Moore. Okay, Kevin Owens has been kicked in the head. He's barely conscious. Rolled into the ring, and Derek Moore, are you okay, Kevin? <laughs> Owens is on a plane to Montreal in his head right now. That's the that is the elevation level his body was at as he stumbles in this ring, and Owens is pleading, "I can start." He goes, "Ring the bell," and Derek Moore, okay. I've got to do it. And he rings the bell. If I ever find myself 
in a match, this is the last referee on earth I want where the fighter's safety is paramount. Not to this guy. 16 seconds, RKO, secondary concussion here by Kevin Owens on impact, and Orton wins in seconds. I mean, technically, this is for a title qualifier, so I think it would be playoff rules. Dude, this was this was no rules. This was no holds barred. Okay, I've got to do it. He said to continue. This this is the referee, uh, Anthony Smith, and every UFC fighter wants. Just just let us fight to the death. Don't end my fight, as long as I'm breathing. So Orton advances with the least amount of work, and we continue the Owens Black feud. Yes. Charlie is with the entire Mysterios, including Aaliyah. All grown up, taller than dad now, even. She is, uh, yeah, getting, everyone's going to be towering over Ray in no time. Uh, Ray's right arm is wrapped up. He notes the pain that Seth has put his family through, and he would have loved to have beaten Seth tonight to earn a title shot, but his loss is his son's gain. Injuries happen, and Dominic is the one person he'd want to take his place. Dominic says, I know I'm the underdog, but after winning last night, my confidence is on another level. And I've got a 619 with the Monday Night Messiah's name written on it. This guy is becoming like a a real talent. I agree. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think he plays Rey Mysterio's son. I mean, obviously really well, but even like his promo is not the loudest. It's not pro wrestler like he just feels like he's like a, a, a dude's son. Um, but Ray, I think, you know, delivers that like very passion, really good. But Dominic for his role, I think he's absolutely perfect. Do you get any sense that, you know, we talked about it a lot last week, like long-term, where's the best place for Dominic to develop? But do you feel that WWE is going to acknowledge like this guy has done very well and they're not going to be in any rush to place him elsewhere, that he might be permanent fixture of this Raw roster or or SmackDown for that matter. I mean, I really have to feel like they would be smart enough to understand that that would be to his detriment. Um, I I would hope Rey Mysterio would see that as well, um, because it, you know he works really well for this current storyline. But once Rey Mysterio is out of the picture, he's just going to be like, you know, another skinny high flyer that I'm. I assure you will be completely lost on that card. So I think he needs to, after the storyline is done, he's made his name, um, take the time off, maybe build a bit of muscle and work on that promo and then come back in a couple of years, like uh, for a real run. Uh, they ran a SmackDown promo. The show's really just built around Roman Reigns appearing as the new champion. MVP and Shelton are in the ring for the VIP lounge. MVP made a bunch of Thunderdome movie references before bringing out Bobby Lashley he said there's three definites in life, death, taxes, and Bobby Lashley. And Lashley takes the microphone, and he said that he did everything he said he would to Apollo Cruz, including putting him into the Hurt Lock. Far better name than the full Lashley. Yes, I would agree. The full Lashley was going to be really tough to yeah. just... We'll, we'll no, see. It, it's a weird name. Did they call it in the match today? I didn't hear it tonight. No. I didn't hear it tonight too. So I mean, we we don't know yet if this he also is... did. Did he even apply it though? No, tonight? I don't. I don't think so. Uh, not that I recall. 
So I, I don't exactly know if like this is just Bobby Lashley trying to like fit that in here, or if they've actually changed the name of the full Lashley. I'm really hoping it's uh, it's the former. Yeah, much better name. Uh, he said Cruz tried to get a little bit of payback during payback, and he just stares into the camera, and he basically is promising, Apollo, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. But tonight, Shelton gets his chance because he's taking on Cruz in the Raw Underground, and as well, he's got double duty. He's going to have to do a six-man tag on top of that. Alexander comes out, the Hurt Business approach him on the aisle, and Alexander has not changed his mind about joining them, and then the Viking Raiders appear from behind, everyone brawls on the floor, and that takes us into the six-man. Yeah. Lashley, MVP, and Shelton against Alexander and the Viking Raiders. They beat down on Alexander forever. He's just getting dominated. MVP with a running boot in the corner. Benjamin and Lashley pull the Viking Raiders off the apron so Alexander can't tag out. MVP goes for a splash in the corner, misses, and Alexander rolls up MVP, grabbing the tights and pins MVP in 620. And MVP comes up smiling because of the idea that slowly he's corrupting Cedric Alexander's sensibilities and he cheated to beat him. Oh, okay. So this is, this is like a, you know, dark side of the force type of thing. Yes, he's corrupting Cedric. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Seti is making the uh, the small mm. adjustments. Okay. Then we saw Titus O'Neil warming up for Raw Underground, and the Hurt Business attacked Cedric Alexander backstage. That was quick that they found this guy. And then Cruz and Ricochet uh, chased them off to help up uh, Alexander. The Iconics versus Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan. They went three and a half minutes. This was our farewell to the Iconics. Riot uh, was driven into Kay's knee by Peyton Royce. And we had Royce uh, working over uh, Riot until Morgan got the hot tag, until she was thrown down by her hair. The Iconics take over. Morgan hits an Inziguri, tags in Ruby, and Morgan takes out Royce and, Royce and Riot and Kay trade covers back and forth. And just like that, Riot stacks her. And pins her. It was kind of just like the fish out of water spot, like a slower version. And then just on one of the rotations, caught her. That was it. Yeah, I mean, all of this, you know, obviously felt incredibly rushed. I mean, you know, to tell a breakup story of, I would say, one of your few, if not like the most kind of legitimate tag team in the entire company right now. Um, that definitely could have been a larger story. So um, I definitely await to see perhaps what the what the reason was that they decided to rush this. Yeah, obviously there was a story and they felt the need that they had to do this right away. So I'm sure that will be known. Uh, the Iconics have a big tantrum and they note over a decade of friendship is gone. Yeah, we didn't even get a final You Gotta Be Joking Me from Billy Kay. <laughs> Nothing. So maybe they'll do that on .com. Shane McMahon tees up Raw Underground, Big Jordan just nods, lets him in. Rollins brings out Murphy ahead of the Dominic match, and he just beats down Murphy verbally. He told him not to make any mistakes. You kicked me in the head. Now get the hell out of my ring. You can decide what side of history you want to be on. And before he leaves, he just slaps Murphy in the back of the head. So yet, yet another relationship crumbling. This felt like a mini write-off for uh, Buddy Murphy. You know, until I guess he shows up inevitably again with some sort of, I don't know, change. Who knows? Over three months of friendship is gone. <laughs> yeah. 
But I mean, I almost felt like Rollins was building sympathy here for Murphy, you know, really bullying him, slapping him in the back of the head. He just like walked away to the back. I think like like such a sad puppy dog. I was starting to feel bad for him. But then out comes, (laughs) then out comes Dominic, just like clotheslining this poor bullied man man in the back of the head. Uh, Now I really feel bad for him. Yeah, he really has nobody left. Yes. As he used to be named. Yeah, yeah. Dominic takes him out. Rollins smiles at this. It's just like, uh, poor Murphy. So the match begins, and uh, Dominic just storms the ring. He hits a springboard arm drag, and he's setting him up for the 619. Rollins ducks and yanks him to the floor, so they fight around the desk. Rollins is in control, uh, grounds him with a body scissors, and then Dominic counters a buckle bomb by sending him into the corner with a Rana. There's a tornado DDT. Rollins, uh, there's a standing moonsault by Dominic. Rollins kicks out, then a high cross to the floor. They show the Mysterios watching backstage, and then he sets up, hits the 619, but the frog splash misses, allowing Rollins to hit the stomp and pin Dominic in 10 minutes four seconds and then a second stomp for good measure as the family is horrified and uh poor angie was just beside herself watching her son stomp twice oh man felt bad might have broken his jaw anytime they cut to the parent i i mean that gets me every time uh another good match you know seth rollins is amazing dominic really couldn't have picked a better person to have his debut matches with but however like this is a feud that's really taken Seth's character to another level. So I think it's been mutually beneficial. Yeah, I guess the question is, what is next? I guess there's some questions surrounding Ray, um, but regardless, like, has this Mysterio storyline kind of reached its conclusion? Can you squeeze out one more big match? And if not, where is Seth going? I mean, you kind of had this hint of this Murphy dissension. Um, it's kind of an interesting question of what is next. Yeah, I mean, they still, of course, have, uh, they could do another Ray versus Seth match coming out of this, but how long is Ray going to be out? I, I I took this to almost look like Dominic might be away for a bit. I mean, it was only two pieces of contact to the head, not three. <laughs> I mean, it's. But he's uh, an average person. He's an average person. Okay. Um, yeah. We go to the Raw Underground. And there is Titus just murdering this, this guys. should have, like, his mom, be- like, ground him. Like Andrew Ground just, Dominic? Yeah. It looked like Seth grounded him. Yes, yes. But, I mean, like, they should have Angie send Dominic, lock him in his room. We go to the Raw Underground, and Titus uh, just destroys this poor guy. I mean... He choke slams him and just starts ramming his head into the mat, which is one way to end a fight. Then the next guy goes for a single leg and gets thrown and mounted. And dude, fucking Titus O'Neil channels Mark Coleman here and starts headbutting him for the finish. I would say like, you know, if we've seen on Raw Underground several, you know, people with like MMA influence, I would say Titus O'Neil reminded us more of like UFC 1. And by that, I mean like guys that are just honestly off the street without really any sort of legitimate martial arts background whatsoever. His fighting to me was a lot less convincing than many of the others. I did like kind of the thought process of this whole segment, though, because after he murdered these two guys, it's Riddick Moss who challenges Titus. 
And here they have a competitive fight. Moss gets some takedowns. Uh, the new thing is just the guys get thrown off the canvas to the floor. And I thought they really overdid this on the underground tonight. Moss is driven into the wall with all the, the stuff hanging. And then they get back into the into the uh, canvas area. And Moss kicks him low and drills him with a right hook. And Titus is knocked out. So what I would say here is the positive is that if we had done Riddick Moss versus Titus O'Neil cold, it's nothing. So they had Titus kill these guys so that when Riddick Moss knocked him out, he had accomplished something by beating this guy who had just looked like a killer against these two. And I, some of these segments get pretty ridiculous with the offense. I could have done without the low blow. Um, but these, I get the sense that these raw underground segments are supposed to have some like camp violence attached to them for shock value. Um, but there's a purpose to it. And they wanted to make Riddick Moss's win seem impressive over someone rather than just doing it cold where Titus is not going to mean a whole lot. They built him up for 60 seconds first. Yeah. I like the swerve here. You think they're setting Titus up, but really they were feeding him to Riddick Moss. So, uh, We'll see where they go with it. I mean, I, I'm yet to be convinced that any of these people that they're actually pushing on Raw Underground are going to make any sort of successful transition to, like, a main roster scene. Um, you know, look, we had Dolph Ziggler, I suppose, somehow earn himself a, a near-title opportunity for, I, I can't tell you any other reason, but maybe some semi-success on Raw Underground. So maybe Riddick Moss is up next. The Street Profits are in the back. We get Coach Dawkins' scouting report, which is kind of grammatically correct, incorrect. Why? Dawkins, it said Coach Dawkins' scouting report without the possessive. Oh, so it was missing the apostrophe? Yes. Okay. Typo. Andrade, um, he's always looking mad, even though he's tranquilo. Garza, I, I don't care. Okay, they made fun of they made fun of the poison. That was the funniest part. No, they literally was, laughed us off. They they made fun of Angel for wearing a tracksuit that looks cheap. They made fun of Zelina for being too short to get on rides at amusement parks. It was really corny, you know. Um, a lot of their shit has been just so corny, but uh, they have a lot of personality, high energy. Like maybe children really like them. Moving on. Uh, it doesn't get much better here, though. Akira Tozawa drives into the arena. This was earlier today. And he gets stopped and is not being checked with a temperature or a questionnaire, nothing. He just drives right in, lowers his window. And even the ninjas, no masks here for Tozawa. And his name is not on the list. And he gets out, grabs the clipboard, and it's an empty list. So he did not make the list. And then Tozawa realizes that this official is a referee with his referee shirt hidden as R-Truth sneaks up from behind, wins the 24-7 title for the 39th time, and then Akira Tozawa gets back into the car and chases Truth. With the, uh, They lose a ninja on the way, but take the referee uh, to go hunt down R-Truth to get the title back, and I guess is still driving in the concourse area. I don't know where he is in this car. <laughs> I like when he tried to get back into the van, he realized he locked himself out 
and had to reach through the window to open the lock to get, God, let himself. God in. bless power locks. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the point of all this is, other than to I don't know get one of these on every show. Um, they're just running in circles. They're not amusing at all. But um, hey, I'm happy for Akira Tozawa not having to give his body. They should adopt one thing and make these uh, two-count matches. Okay. Why? Just to do something. I don't know. Would that make it better? No, probably not. I take that back. The Street Profits took on Andrade and Garza in a tornado match for the Raw tag titles. Demi Burnett's ringside. Vega is ringside, but Demi Burnett gets a nice cushioned seat, and Vega had to stand. I guess one is actively managing, you know, probably going to get involved in the match, and the other was just there to watch. If you were managing me, yeah, I'd want you comfortable. I'd want you with a desk, maybe taking some notes. Maybe a laptop. Perhaps, yeah, like a, an earpiece. Whatever it takes. I would want you from a certain vantage point to make sure... You have an unobstructed view. Well, we know maybe what... maybe standing you can be more mobile, so maybe yeah. that does help. When we say managing, I think you and I know what that really means. Ford is sent into the post, uh, just to remind us how delicate the shoulders are. I don't know what this was, but I found it hilarious because Ford sells the post shot, and as he's about to fall to the floor off the edge, he reaches like. Uh, Sylvester Stallone in Cliffhanger uh, for the red cup, and he can't get it, and he just falls. He plummets to the floor without the red cup. That would have saved him. That was just the highlight of this. They work on the arm of Angelo Dawkins for about an hour. Then he fights back, does his usual comeback. He's caught in the tree of woe. Uh, Montez Ford, like, leaped out of God knows what and just cleared the ring to make the save. It was the most physically impressive thing. He hits a running blockbuster onto Andrade, shakes the ropes so hard that the power starts to go out and retribution starts to appear. Angel Garza takes Demi and runs away, abandoning Andrade as retribution storms the ring. They attack everyone, including Vega and Andrade, before running away. We don't get any finish to this tornado match and retribution has made their mark. I was really thankful for the attack. I'm so sick of this fucking feud and couldn't give a shit who would have won this match. So thank you, Retribution. Um, next was Adam Pierce, who was screaming at security, telling them to get to their post, get to their post. Yep. Um, from there, Shane is with the... Iconics who have made their way to Raw Underground, and they look really excited to be here. Well, I mean, they were sad, you know. They just they were told that the friendship that they built up, the act. I mean, they're gonna have to change all their ring gear, you know, all their double team moves. Uh, Shane uh, then introduces our match: Avery Taylor versus the returning Jessamine Duke. Yes, so ask and we shall receive. Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir back here tonight. Duke just attacks her with kick after kick and then finishes her with ground and pound and then won't stop uh, as she shoves Avery Taylor to the floor. Then another woman gets involved and is confronted by Marina Shafir, who in her bucket hat 
and long skirt, nails his girl in the body, violently hip tosses her and submits her. I thought Marina looked like a beast, even in that bucket hat. She looked like Raiden. Uh, a little. A little bit? Sure. Uh, yeah, maybe. It's the hat. I don't think Raiden wears a bucket hat. Uh, but... Well, this is this is like a uh, subdued Raiden without the electricity. Hmm. Okay. Um, then Peyton Royce throws Billy Kay in with the sharks and Billy Kay is petrified and gets head kicked by Duke. Peyton looks frightened as Duke beats Kay and Shane just throws it while Billy, uh, Billy's unconscious and Peyton is looking scared to death. And I don't know what this was, but this was, uh, maybe the end of, uh, Billy Kay for now? I don't know. Not really sure either. I mean, you know, this almost seemed like like it was Peyton Royce turning on Billy Kay by shoving her in, in, into the ring like that. But it was played so much more comedically that it almost felt like an oh, oopsie, you know, type of thing. Um, who knows what, again, what the real reason is why they might be breaking the team up. Is this going to lead to Billy Kay taking time off even? We have no idea. Um, but they needed somebody to fulfill it. And I thought as a way of continuing to introduce Shafir and Duke into like the WWE realm, allowing them to work this style in the underground presenting them as two like very legit killers is really good for them. Yep. I mean, this is kind of the the best place uh, for them to kind of just, you know, accentuate their, their strengths. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, it'll just be kind of interesting what the, uh, what the deal is with the iconics after this. Charlie is with Cruz, Ricochet, and Alexander. She recaps all of their failures of, lo- of late. And Cruz says that the old Apollo would have just been happy to have been U.S. champion. I was waiting for the follow-up. You know, Ricochet, last year at SummerSlam, you lost the U.S. title. And that's that was exactly your attitude. Ricochet just, like, happened. He was standing right behind Apollo as he was saying this. And Ricochet was basically agreeing. It's like... <laughs> Seti, you're going to have plenty of U.S. titles. You've already won. So uh, he's going to – Apollo is more determined than ever, and he will keep going after Bobby Lashley. Ricochet says that what they have is stronger than any dollar amount, and they proceed to walk into Raw Underground. The lambs being led to slaughter. I mean, it was such a good, passionate pro- promo from Apollo. Um you would certainly like maybe expect a different outcome <laughs> than what we eventually got here. We had Shelton versus Apollo Cruz in Raw Underground. Cruz tries for a slam uh, and it gets stopped. Cruz ends up getting mounted and he's eating strikes. Cruz goes for this Kimura and they roll to the floor and the Hurt Business, Ricochet and Cedric all get involved. They're brawling. And they all get into the ring. MVP's working for an arm triangle. The Hurt Business is just dominating these guys. Lashley just, they just wave it off. Cedric is done. Ricochet is suddenly unconscious. And uh, Apollo. MVP choked him out. Yeah. And Apollo was out too. So the Hurt Business stands tall and just wipe the floor with these three. They just 
killed them. They killed like no, these no, like hope spot. No, oh. like valiant. Uh, like Jeez. they went. They didn't even go down swinging. They were beaten to a pulp. It was a ten eight round in all three cases. And I re- wouldn't even really say that the hurt business is like they cheated at all. I mean, it was like the advantage was just as much for the baby faces as it was for the heels. They just got like beat, beat down, um, and then choked out like chumps. You know, like I, I would have certainly said after like um payback that Apollo, okay, he's probably going to get a rematch against Bobby Lashley where he'll probably beat Bobby Lashley, right? Now I'm not so sure. Like this was a real dismantling of like this babyface team. No, it's the kind of um beatdown that only makes you feel like the heels are really like the cool act and these are not baby faces you're rooting for. Like you want to have confidence in the baby faces you get behind. Yeah, especially in a legitimate setting like this. Yeah. Or is um, pretend legitimate at least. Garza is backstage with Demi, escaping danger. And Demi says, You kind of abandoned everyone out there. And he denies that. He's like, they're trained fighters. They don't need me. I'm only concerned with your safety. And then the door opens and there is retribution. And dude, Garza just hightails at leaving Demi. I thought this was hilarious. It was really funny. This was very funny. Just immediately drops Demi. She is left there staring at these uh, attackers. And then she runs off. Retribution didn't even have the inclination or desire to chase either of them down. They're just there. And I don't even know what Retribution did. Like, they returned to the building, but that was it. I mean, at this point... Um, maybe maybe they forgot something. Right. I don't know. At this point, how threatening would you really say Retribution are? I mean, like they, they do a good job of, of, I guess, like having everybody, like the announcers, bail. That part's kind of cool. Um but this this was almost just them being used as a punchline for for a joke, wasn't it? They were definitely the background noise for the segment, which yeah, the the point of the segment was just putting Garza as like the coward, which I, I thought was entertaining. But yeah, I, I think we're ready for kind of the next step of retribution. Yeah. Kind of gotta get this thing moving. And then Randy Orton, Keith Lee, and Seth Rollins was our final match of the night. Orton immediately goes to the floor and Rollins is protesting, saying, I thought we were going to work together. And Randy just yells, I already worked tonight. I already had a fight, which was awesome. (laughs) So Rollins then goes to the floor. Orton says, I changed my mind about working together. They go through a break. Keith Lee is thrown into the steps and he's pretty much got to work a two on one handicap match. Orton eventually turns on Rollins, hitting him with a draping DDT. The RKO gets turned into a Falcon Arrow, and then the Incredible Hulk makes his comeback. He hip-tosses Rollins into Orton, pounces Orton, who flies to the floor, and then Rollins goes for a dive and is caught on the floor and dumped onto the desk. Back inside the ring, Rollins catches him with a super kick, but as he goes for the stomp, Lee turns it into the Spirit Bomb, and Orton sneaks back in, RKO to Keith Lee, and then goes for the cover on Rollins, who is still out from the Spirit Bomb. Orton pins Rollins, 11 minutes, 4 seconds, and they play up that, if medically cleared, Drew McIntyre will face Randy Orton at Clash of Champions. I, I thought they found a pretty clever out of this match. You know, you had Orton hit his move on Lee, but pinning Rollins instead... The insinuation is that he thinks Lee would kick out of his finisher, but Rollins wouldn't kick out of the spirit bomb. 
So you could still claim that Lee holds a pinfall over Orton and not the other way around. Um, Rollins, perhaps the guy who can afford the loss the most out of the three. And, you know, I would say like Lee was still made to look like a monster who nearly won a handicap match, essentially. Um, and, you know, I, I almost feel like after after all this, you can still claim Keith Lee as the first challenger if Randy Orton wins the championship. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those, like, we don't want to beat Keith Lee, so we've got, like, the three-way gimmick to get around that, which is fine. I thought by the end of this, I, I think it kind of cooled the the effect of last night, but mm-hmm. it kind of just keeps Keith Lee. I mean, it, you're going to do something big with all the contenders. You have to have Keith Lee part of that, and they at least didn't beat him or anything like that. Um, and, and I guess that's kind of where you're leaning towards, um, depending on like they're, they're, it's kind of weird what they're doing w- with Drew. Like, I don't know what the the story is here. Um, what, what's going on? Like they didn't make it this definitive match for clash of champions, but that seems to be what they're going to advertise. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that this raw was, it moved sign- Like I thought the pacing of raw was, pretty strong like they just had one thing after the other they were constantly building to uh different things that were coming up they were always keeping you engaged um i didn't think it was the most uh dynamic main event but served its purpose um but i i thought overall like a raw that i did not think like dragged all too often yeah i thought raw was fine um you know keith lee continues to I would say coming off of last week's show and payback, he definitely felt like a big presence on the show. Um, if, you know, sort of the, the net positive is that, hey, do we have a new main eventer? I would say so. Uh, I think they've done a good job of featuring him and spotlighting him. I mean, you could definitely debate whether or not he feels like, you know, the guy, but he is one of the guys, I would say. So, yeah, that part is definitely debatable. But, um, you built up to Randy Orton. I think the, the what is it, the little mini tournament tournament thing, I thought they handled pretty decently well. Uh, you have, I, I really don't, at this point, understand what they're doing with Apollo getting dismantled like that by the Hurt Business, but, you know, maybe, hey, I got to look at the full story, right? Uh, and perhaps the most interesting thing coming out of this is what exactly is going on with the Iconics? What's going on with the Iconics? Um What's what's the timetable for Rey Mysterio? If it's if it's a you know if it's a partial tear, I mean that's still you know going to be some time for him. Like that could be you know two months or something, um, perhaps less. We'll see what happens with Rey. Uh, if there's an update there, I guess if you're taking Rey out of the mix for the uh, the immediate future. Keith Lee and Seth Rollins could be a very solid pairing, and that would be. Mm-hmm. I think you could showcase a lot with Keith Lee with an opponent like Seth Rollins. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Now, um, if neither are champions, is that something you would do at the pay-per-view? Yeah, right. We do have... uh, Well, I mean, you could still do a a non-title match at Clash of Champions. Maybe Uh, maybe they'll pivot to, like, Keith Lee versus Bobby Lashley. Because Apollo, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's getting that rematch. He might not make it that far. What if Keith Lee and uh, Seth Rollins uh, decided to form a tag team that they don't get along with each other? I mean, those are the best stories, aren't they? Yeah, it's 
it's very important. Like Keith Lee is not this uh, cemented in stone main eventer. It's this period is very important for him. It was very good handling of him on on Sunday. I thought it was fine tonight, but this is a very important period that you want to establish him as that guy. And if he is not involved in the title picture uh, going into Clash of Champions, it's having him in a, a suitable role for that show. Yeah. So let us head to the forum, forum.postwrestling.com. And tonight you gave this Raw a 3.94. Ooh. Um, that was very low. I would say tonight, it's not like we had any blow away great wrestling on this show. Um, I thought it moved, though. And that usually most weeks is my ultimate factor with Raw is how how well was the show paced. And I thought tonight was better than some weeks. I think at least one person might have voted zero based on the Iconics breaking up. Well, again, we don't know what they were facing. If this was something that just came out of nowhere and they had to do this, I mean, you have to give them some leeway there. I don't think this is something where they just said, hey, you know what? Let's break up the Iconics. We have no build-up. Yeah, but that shit's happened, John. Like, on a whim. That stuff like stuff like that has happened. So I, I certainly wouldn't have given them the benefit of the doubt unless... There, there was a bigger, you know, unless I found out that there was a bigger story. Okay, and we're like we, we don't know, right? It would be certainly if if there's no if it this is strictly a, a snap decision, then yeah, uh, that deserves plenty of criticism for uh, just breaking up an act with no, with nothing behind it. But if there is some other story, like we just don't know. So we don't anyway, know when I say that at least one person would have voted zero, I think we all know who we're referring to. Paul from New Jersey. Santa Claus isn't real. The Tooth Fairy is just some creep, and the Iconics are no more. Life is a lie. I can only hope this means Peyton Royce is getting a singles push, but I fear for a one William K. Might only be a matter of time before she's dancing in the underground or chasing Tozawa. This is what it's like when doves cry. A minus 7 out of 10. Boy, I'm glad we don't have minuses. That would certainly skew the poll. MJ, first and foremost, condolences to my statemate, Paul from New Jersey. You said something so true on the Payback Post Show. The WWE is in a weird way benefiting from no fans. I at least am enjoying it more. Keith Lee should feel like a big deal after beating Orton. And when we came out tonight, I believed he was. A lukewarm reaction in some random city on a summer night shouldn't detract from feeling like he's a big deal on this roster. Now that they've figured out a set that works, it's given a new lease on life to these shows. I also see Lee winning the title by Mania, if not sooner. I think they are going all the way with him, and if they don't, what a missed opportunity to do something impactful with him. Quick note on commercials. I am getting a real CM Punk Heyman vibe from from Roman and Heyman, and I love it. TNA has been running some cool new spots during the playoffs for – he wrote TNA here. He means TNT. Uh, has been running some cool new spots during the playoffs for Dynamite. In a weird way, I'm back in on weekly TV. May have something to do with being back in New York. Watching wrestling is extremely habitual. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we go up next to Muggin, who says, Raw was a solid start to the Class of Champions build-up. I'm curious about Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, whether or not they're going to thrive on their own as they're no longer a team. Retribution still hasn't struck a chord with me. Dominic Mysterio is quickly making an, imp- an impression after three matches. I enjoyed Keith Lee versus Ziggler. Dolph Selling made Keith look terrific. Alistair Black, Kevin Owens is shaping up to be a feud that'll benefit them both. And the booking in the main event, main event was logical as it progressed the Drew-Randy feud, and it keeps Keith looking strong. Six out of ten. 
Nick from Lansing, breaking up the Iconics was a mistake. Wasted story options, and if they wanted a match with that stipulation, it should have been built up more than just at the beginning of the episode. Rest of the show was alright, and even Raw Underground feels like it's starting to find its feet. We, we go to John from Detroit, who says, I thought WWE had some momentum going tonight, but tonight felt like they were back to the same old. Keith Lee with a re- typical Raw speak promo. Four Randy Orton segments two weeks in a row is a bit much. Marina Shafir, where does somebody buy pants like that? I sure wish Raw Underground would have hired different cameramen. The, the continuous camera cuts is nauseating. I can't remember when this became Kevin Dunn's go-to, but hopefully he goes back. On a positive note, the beat-down clan or her company has looked good and just can't figure out where this is actually going. And the last one here is Adam, who writes... Hey, John and Way, pretty solid episode that didn't drag over three hours. I'm more and more impressed with Liv Morgan as the months go by. I feel Seth is back on top of his game again the last couple of months. Angel Garza bailing on Demi made me laugh out loud and was the highlight of the show for me. I'm not a big fan of fantasy booking, but if Brock happens to re-sign with WWE, he'd be an amazing fit with the Hurt Business. Imagine Brock being paired with Lashley, MVP as a mouthpiece, and his history with Shelton Benjamin, especially since Heyman is paired with Roman currently. I think that would really negate... Bobby Lashley's role, you know, as as the monster. I'd rather see those two oppose one another. Yeah, I mean, that is, uh, you know, that was the match that everyone thought was a, a layup when Lashley came back, but that was 2018. And they, I mean, within record time, that was a match that didn't have any appeal to it. And they have now built Lashley to a level that that would be, a match I think you could go to if if that was a direction, but yeah, um, you just reminded me of like <laughs> this Lashley run since his debut, showing his ass, being married to Lana, dude. He's like, had quite sis- the trajectory. His sisters, oh, oh god, the god. sisters, man. This guy has had a brutal run of things during this comeback. Yeah, like full Lashley is like the least of his worries. Like, I'm telling you, when it was in TNA and now with the Hurt Business, like, MVP has done wonders. Absolutely. Uh, And not to give all the credit to MVP, like, Mm -hmm. Lashley is – but that is the role that works. And once they they found it on Raw and let them do this, like, it's been the best utilization of Lashley. Like, MVP has been a very underrated – High value signing. Not year. underrated on this show. We've been like singing his praises. Like, no, I'm just saying in in the grand scheme of things, if you were to tell me in January oh, MVP is yeah. going to come into WWE, you would probably shrug your shoulders mm-hmm. and look at what a cameo turned into at Royal Rumble, yeah. and it's turned into a, a great managerial slash performer. I mean, he's been wrestling just as much, so mm-hmm. it's it's been a and it's. A, Hands down, the best utilization uh, Shelton Benjamin has had since uh, World's Greatest Tag Team. Uh, yeah, I mean, even if it means him like being in the twenty four seven division, um, I, I, I at least he's on TV. Hey, it's it, it sure beats uh, Mama Benjamin or being uh, thwarted against uh, Triple H. So, anyway, some good things going on uh, with, with the Hurt Business. And that's going to wrap up Rewind a Raw, a very packed edition of the show. Lots of news, lots of stuff coming out of Raw. And we're going to come out of Raw and turn back the clock 29 years. We're going to go back to October 27th of 1991, Tuesday night, Rewind Away with Halloween Havoc 1991, featuring some 
some fantastic vignettes breaking this up with or promoting this show with Elvira. Man, seeing Eric Bischoff dressed up as a <laughs> as a vampire. Dude, this show, like every frame of this show had something to offer. I had I mean, I'd been having a lot of fun watching it. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. Oh my god. They <laughs> seeing their anyway, I, I won't get into the review prior to it, but anyway. It's coming up on Tuesday night. It should be quite the review. Uh, so tune into that. And then we will be back uh, here on this feed on Wednesday night with Rewind a Dynamite for the Go Home Show heading into All Out, which uh, I forgot to mention this in the news, but they have added Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara to the pay-per-view in a broken rules match. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So Rick Knox is probably the referee. <laughs> broken rules. That is it. Thanks to, for tuning in. We'll be back on Tuesday night.